Over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts and the underground movement of Jesus that we see happen. And I want to tell you, if you're new to Mercy Road, this is the uh, only sermon series we do almost every single year. It's different every year. It's always new material, but we cover the same content of what the underground movement of Jesus looks like in the New Testament, which unfortunately we often don't see in American church culture. And so what I'm going to share today with you is the beginning of a six-week journey together to say, what would it look like to get crazy enough to believe that God would actually do a greater move for uh, the, the, the kingdom of God here in the state of Indiana in our lifetime? If you're new to Mercy Road, out in the, the hallway right out there, we have our four movement maker statements. We're going to be talking about one of them this morning, our motto to live boldly and love deeply. But the last one is to see a million people come to know Jesus in the state of Indiana by the year 2050. We even put a date on it. And you're like, oh, that's a great goal. It's a, it's a silly goal. There are less than 7 million people in the entire state of Indiana. But when there were 40 people in the church before we launched the first worship gathering 11 years ago, coming up on our 11th birthday celebration, actually, it's going to be September 18th. Get ready. It's going to be here at the building, and I can't wait to see what God does. But uh, when, we, when we did that 11 years ago, we shared when there were 40 people, our mission was to see a million people come to know Christ. Because that could never be accomplished by gathering people in a building. It will only happen if we believe the Spirit of God supernaturally could use us to impact other human beings, to be discipled in the ways of Jesus, to rid themselves of their hurts and habits and hangups and addictive habits, to become the people God created us to be, to go out in our communities and impact those in our sphere of influence. So who's in our sphere of influence? We're talking about your family, your friends, your coworkers, your schools. Do we have any students in the room getting ready to go back to school? Three of you, that's great. <laughs> the rest are all skipping. No, uh, we're getting ready for the school year. You know, I know January kicks off the new year, but for many people, particularly in suburban culture, this is like the new year right now where we're setting our habits for the next nine months. And what I want to encourage you is to make the main thing the main thing to not forget about what it looks like to live on mission in our context. In fact, I was with uh, three different groups of people this week, uh, a group of pastors, a group of entrepreneurs, another group of pastors. And in every single one of those meetings, as I was sharing, I was talking about that what we're trying to do is to see a million people come to Christ in our state. And I want to tell you guys, there are things happening right now that it could really occur. I met with some people in their 80s who have been a part of moves of God globally that reached way more than a million people. And one of the couples in particular has made Indiana their, their focal point for, for the remainder of, of their years here to see what would it look like for Indiana to be the place where, like the church in Thessalonica, the message rings out from this place around the globe. And that's really our heart. It's not a small vision. I hope you're ready for it. You ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. Turn to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. And I want to talk about the underground Jesus movement, which is happening today, that we are seeing people exponentially multiplying, coming to faith, being baptized, 
Uh, in our, the family of churches, we baptized more people in the year of COVID than we had in any previous year. And then last year, we baptized even more people than that. In the family of churches, that's just four, soon to be five churches, the Mercy Road family of churches, but in Multiply Indiana, which now is about 20 churches in different parts of the state and soon to be many more, we are seeing more people come to faith. And I believe God is on the move in our lifetime. We're going to pray and fast again for March for a Million. You can go to marchformillion.com. Uh, we had, I think it was like 180 churches participate last year on the circle. We're going to be praying and worshiping and doing it again this spring. I believe God's up to something special in the state of Indiana. If you're watching from some other state or some other country, you should move here and be a part of it because God's doing something cool. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, at the beginning of the New Testament, it talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in four books we call the Gospels, which means the good news. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you learn about Jesus' life and ministry, his death and resurrection on the third day. But in Luke, in particular, he has a second part to his book. It's called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, of what happens after Jesus' resurrection. How the early Jesus movement gets started and expands rapidly from just a few teenagers to thousands of people and eventually spreads around the globe. And in Acts chapter six, uh, 1, beginning in verse 6, it says, Then they gathered around him, Jesus is presenting himself after the resurrection to the disciples. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. He says, I know you want me to like end everything now and we'll be in paradise and heaven together, but that's not happening yet. The Bible tells us until the last person who's going to receive Christ comes to know the Lord, he's waiting because he is patient out of compassion and love for anybody that is willing to surrender their life to him. And so he says, until then, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in the creation of the universe was there in every moment along the way, empowering people to do supernatural things. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so that you could go to Jerusalem, which was their city, Judea, their state, Samaria, the surrounding provinces or, or countries, and to the ends of the earth. And that the mission of the body of Christ, of the local church, is to all of those capacities, to our cities here in Hamilton County and Indianapolis, to our state, to our country, to the countries around us, and to the globe. And that if we actually allowed the Spirit of God to move like we read in the New Testament, we could see miraculous things occur. But then look what happens, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white angels stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into the sky will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So I want you to pretend like you were actually there. Can you picture it for just a second? Like you're sitting there talking to Jesus who had been dead and isn't anymore. 
He is resurrected. He can still see the scars and the wounds. And, and then all of a sudden, my, my friend Albert Tate says it like this. He's standing there before you, and all of a sudden he does this. And I don't know what it looked like. I don't know why we always think it's like he's got his arms out wide and he's just like taking me. But somehow he starts ascending, like floating. And you're like looking for the strings. No, there's no strings. And he just floats up until he's up into the sky and then he disappears. Wouldn't that freak you out? I'd be having a panic attack right there. Like, no, don't, don't leave, don't leave. And they're so concerned about him leaving that they, they're just standing and they're staring and they're just looking and they can't believe, where'd he go? What happened? And then these angels come and they say, hey, stop staring. Time to get to work. Things are about to change. I believe that some of us who have been Christians for many years, perhaps even decades, we're still staring some of us, we've had saving faith in Jesus, and we spend most of our time staring in the clouds, still looking for Jesus, rather than going, okay, God, empower me by your spirit to go live on mission, to make an impact. And I want to wake some of us up this morning. What I'm going to share with you is really, if I'm being honest, a holy discontent in my own life over the last 20-some years of following Jesus, where we get so monotonous in the way that we pursue him. And we start missing out on what he's doing today. We need to stop staring at the clouds, start living boldly and loving deeply in our sphere of influence. And that's what we're going to talk about. You ready? Let's pray. God, uh, we pause and I just acknowledge your presence here. I thank you for those who came into this space for the very first time, maybe didn't know anybody, maybe feel out of place. We started this church for people just like that. So if that's you in the room, uh, I just want to pray for you. God, I pray that they find a, a relationship this morning, both with you and with other people, that they might ask their hard questions. We might become the people you created us to be. We say it every week. No one's too far from God to experience life change through you, Jesus, that the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever we're at spiritually, we surrender this morning to you. But then, God, for those who have been Christians for a, a Christian for a while, God, I pray that you anoint us with your Holy Spirit in a way we maybe never have. This morning would change everything. We surrender this time to, we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Uh, so thank you guys. The summer's wrapping up. I got to go away on vacation just recently, and I had one of the worst moments of my entire life. The vacation was fantastic, uh, but my 13-year-old son uh, beat me in a sport, and I didn't care for that. It just happened to be the sport I was best at all growing up, um, the, the, the game of tennis. I hadn't played for like 20 years until my son got back into it two years ago. Uh, he got into it for the first time. I got back into it. And so it's been really fun for me to crush my son every time we play. And we went out over vacation and he beat me. And I posted it online because I was so mad. And, uh, but I didn't post what happened next. Uh, we played again because I wanted a rematch and he beat me again. So... We're not going to talk about that anymore. I need some prayer. But I'll, I'll tell you uh, what kind of hit me there was this, something happened at the beginning of the summer. My, he was in a, a match. He plays lots of tennis now. If you don't know much about competitive junior tennis, you maybe never should. But like, what we found out is it's a very anxiety-ridden sport. And, and as a parent, it's like the worst thing to go watch, by the way. You can't say anything. It's the worst. If you like start cheering, everybody thinks you're rude. If you try and coach, they literally will kick you out. 
Like, it's horrible. So you just have to sit there and watch quietly for two hours. It's, oh, man, the anxiety is really bad. But so he had a match this summer that he was supposed to just get throttled by this kid who was older and a very, very good tennis player. And he went into the match, and he actually was playing pretty well, and it was a close match. And in the first set, he made it all the way to a tiebreaker. If you're not familiar with tennis, in a one-set tiebreaker, you go to seven points, win by two. He's down five to two in the tiebreaker, which in middle school tennis means not only is the tiebreaker over and the set is over, the whole match is over because the middle schooler is about to have an emotional meltdown. There may be some things thrown and, you know, it's all over. And something clicked in him where he just like, who cares? He just started playing hard. He won the next five points. He won the set. He goes on to win the match. And yeah, see, that, that's a lot better story to tell than the times that he lost matches he was supposed to win and got angry. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun moment. His eyes, I could see it afterwards. Something clicked. For the first time, he started thinking, man, I could be pretty good at this, which was really bad for me playing him because now he thought he could beat me. So I, I was thinking about that. And, you know, you see that a lot in the sporting world where something clicks for a young kid, they start getting it. But I want to tell you, for some of us are followers of Jesus in the room, I believe there are so immature Christians in American church culture that I want to awaken us this morning to the reality of you have so much more potential as a follower of Jesus than to just receive salvation, hopefully sin less than you did before and go to heaven when you die. And some of us, I think most American Christians, that's really what it's like. It's like, I gave my life to Jesus. It's amazing. Now I just have to try and not sin as much so that hopefully God doesn't get angry with me and change his mind, which by the way, is really bad theology and totally inaccurate to the Bible. But what I believe most of us miss out on is the potential of what God could use your life to do. So I want to talk about this morning of how to live your best life. I, it's not on the screen, but I want you to write it down if you got notes. To live your, the, the goal this morning is for you to live your best life. Capital B, capital E, capital S, capital T. It took me a lot of work to make this happen this morning, so stay with me. I can't wait to show this to you. The goal is we want to talk about what the underground Jesus movement looks like, and it, number one, begins, that's the B, begins with the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that many of us think we could never do great things for God because we're not qualified. We're not even that talented. You know, we can't do what so-and-so could do, so why even bother? I want to tell you the greatest moves of God have always happened when God qualified the unqualified. The, we're all here today because 11 teenagers who were passed over by all the great rabbis of that day because they weren't talented, had their lives radically changed by Jesus or empowered by the Holy Spirit and go and proclaim the gospel all over the globe. If he could do that with them, he could do it with you. So look with me in verse uh, Acts chapter 2 now, verse 1. So Acts chapter 1, oh, by the way, let me set the stage. Over the next six weeks, we're going to go through all 28 chapters of the book of Acts. So you're going to need to come ready, get a pen ready. I'm going to move quick. You're going to drink from the fire hose. And at the end of chapter one, he's ascended to the right hand of the father. They've been staring at the clouds. The angel's like, stop doing that. He's not coming back yet. So they're like, okay, we're going to get to work. First thing they do, they're like, that Judas was really bad. We need to replace him. 
Uh, we need 12 again. So they cast lots. They get Matthias on board. Now they got 12 again. They're like, we're ready to go. Chapter two, first thing that happens, verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. A couple of things. What's the day of Pentecost? We, we know that as the day that the Holy Spirit was given to the early Christians. But penta means five, or in this case, 50, and it's a reference to 50 days after the Passover, which was when Jesus was crucified, by the way. Why, why are they in the home together 50 days after the Passover? What are they most likely doing? Well, every good Jewish person, according to Leviticus 23 and 24, would have been celebrating the festival of weeks, where for over a thousand years, the Jewish community would read the scripture about the 10 commandments that were given of how to be obedient and live your life for God. Only the problem was they all failed all the time, and so that's why they needed to repent, and that Jesus was crucified. Now they could be forgiven, but they still struggled to live the way that God wanted them to live. And so it was on that day. This is so beautiful. This is how God works in scripture. God chose all the days in all of human history that day when they're reading those passages, waiting on God, help us to live for you. He gives them the Holy Spirit so they can finally live in a way that honors him to be used in a way to do things that are supernatural and in that moment, these tongues of fire, they begin to speak in languages they don't even understand. And you'll see here in a moment that Peter's going to lead 3,000 people to know the Lord because of it. And they're all going to hear it in their native language. I was talking to Greg Strand, uh, uh, one of our adult ministry pastors out in the lobby uh, after the first service. And he told me, so first service didn't get to hear this. This is just for you. Uh, he told me that uh, he had a, a very close friend up in Muncie, that they would travel around and do urban ministry uh, many years ago. And he was a worship pastor, and they were in this one urban environment trying to reach people for Christ. And there were five Hispanic gang members that were there who weren't receptive and were kind of standoffish to the whole situation. And so he walked over to them, and he spoke to them. He thought in English, but they heard it in Spanish, and all five of them surrendered their life to Christ in that moment. And, you know, we hear stuff like that. We're like, that really, it still happens today. It's not weird. Okay, it's kind of weird, but it's, it, it, it's not weird when you think about that God created the universe, that he redeemed all humankind, that he's going to return and put the world right, and we're going to spend eternity in heaven with God in paradise. Like, when you think of what God is able to do, that is nothing for him. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit is given to them and empowers them, and everything is about to change. It's the fuel on the fire. I can remember when I was in, uh, uh, just graduating high school, and I went to this worship gathering, and they had an opportunity at the end to come forward if you would like to go into full-time vocational ministry. And I thought, well, that's not me. So I was planning on watching all these weirdos get up and go over to there, and the next thing I knew, I found myself standing up and walking to that room. And I remember being in that room going, I don't belong here. I have no idea why I'm here. 
And I knew that the Spirit of God was calling me to a life of vocational ministry. And so what I naturally did, you're like, is that when you planted the church? No. (laughs) The next year, I did everything to run away from God I possibly could. I drank as much alcohol as I could, did more inappropriate things as a young person in college, and wanted nothing to do with God because I didn't really like church, and I definitely didn't want to do that with my life. And then God began to like wake me up. And in one moment, everything changed. And I went from running away from God to finally fulfilling what he was calling me to do. I think there are so many American Christians that are missing out on what God is calling you to do because you're afraid of what the Spirit of God could do in your life. You don't have to be afraid. The underground movement of Jesus begins with the Spirit of God in your life and you surrendering over to that. Number two, if you're taking notes, that it begins with the power of the Holy Spirit, but it, once that happens, the kingdom of God expands rapidly. Most of us think we will never see anybody in our life ever who wasn't a Christian become a Christian and to change their life. Most of us think our family members and friends who have addictive habits to drugs and alcohol will always struggle. Most of us think that those whose marriages are falling apart will always fall apart. Most of us think that the kids in our lives that that are really troubled kids, that it'll just always be like that. I want to tell you that a follower of Jesus has to believe because the power of the Spirit of God, when we submit over to him, his, his kingdom expands rapidly and lives are changed. Look what happens here. They receive the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2. By verse 37 now, Peter is out preaching And here's what happens. When the people heard this, he tells them the news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, well, get into a small group and, you know, ask questions for the next 30 years. I struggle with this next verse because it's very deliberate. He says, repent and be baptized. There was no baptism class. They didn't work out all their theological beliefs first. They didn't try and figure out how to get rid of all of the sin issues in their life. It was repent and be baptized. I don't know who that's for today, but man, that has struck me all morning long. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It reminds me of today. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. When we truly encounter God and he becomes the most important thing in our lives, we naturally see it expand. It's contagious. It will spread but it requires something of us. Did you notice what it required? Repent and be baptized, which is really about submission. And submission, the reason most of us are afraid to do that, the why I ran in fear for a year, because submission requires action, requires change, requires people looking at us differently because we behave differently, because we've experienced the Spirit of God in our life. It begins with the Holy Spirit, but it expands rapidly when we fully submit over to him. 
Submission requires action. And I've been thinking about this. I told you I have some holy discontent in my own life that the truth is if we don't have a heart to like get into God's word, to grow in faith, to become the people he created us to be, it's so often because we know that if we actually submitted ourselves in that way, it would require changes and actions of things that we don't really want to give up. Here's what I think. And it doesn't really matter what I think, but I want to tell you, after looking at the book of Acts and seeing the passion and the priority of their faith first and foremost in their life, I'm concerned that many of us are going to get to heaven and have no stories to tell other than when I was 47 years old, somebody told me about Jesus and I went to church with them because I was dating them. And I thought, yeah, I want to go to heaven. And I prayed. And then I attended some church services and tried not to do as many bad things. I'm not telling you whether you have salvation or not. That's hardly my place. But what I'm saying is the early Christians, I don't see that mentality at all anywhere. they, They can't get over what Jesus has done. It leads to a submission and action, which leads to rapid expansion because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Can we get real for just a second? I mean, I'm going to look at myself a little bit here on this first one. Some of us, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to have more uh, stories to tell about our kids' sporting careers than about the changed lives of the kids in our schools because of the way our family was used. Some of you on-trend Christians, you're going to have better cigar and bourbon collections than you're going to have collections of people who have been baptized believers because of how God used you. Did I cross the line? I'm looking for the nerve a little bit. Like some of us, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to have just gone, well, we're always going to have violence and yeah, there's shootings in our city and yeah, there's all kinds of problems in our schools and and yeah, there's kids that are growing up without parents and yeah, there's foster care children that need someone to love them and care for them. Yeah, there's ways we could make an impact, but the truth is I'm really busy and I got a job and I got things to do. And I'm not trying to judge you. Life is hard, all right? Like, we're raising three kids. It is hard. But I want to tell you what I see in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the underground move of Jesus happens because it expands rapidly because there's submission, which leads to action, which leads to prioritization of every aspect, their time, their talents, their treasures. It's all about the mission of Jesus first. And that's the hard news that I find many of us struggle struggle to surrender to. But Christianity always expands rapidly when people live empowered by the Spirit, but it requires that type of submission. And I'm convinced most American Christians will never get to that point. And I want to tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. We're seeing the opposite at times. We're seeing people who reject the norms, the cultural norms, the suburban life of disconnected, isolated Christianity Because I believe if you want to live your best life, like we're talking about this morning, because S is coming, we have to live fully submitted to Jesus and watch the kingdom of God expand rapidly. But we need to understand point number three, that the underground move of Jesus strengthens in community. And most of us lead very isolated Christian lives. In suburban culture in particular, we avoid other people. Our fences have fences to keep the neighbor's fences out because we want to come home and not have to deal with anything. I want to tell you, you're missing out on greater community, the love of Christians together, when you don't open yourself up 
to what God could use you to do in our own community. Look at, look at Acts chapter 2, what happens next. So they're given the Holy Spirit. He's empowered. They repent and they're baptized. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. They're expanding rapidly. The thing's beginning to take off. We know it's going to spread all over the globe, but they don't know that yet. They're just a bunch of teenage kids who feel totally unqualified, who keep waiting for Jesus to come back because they're going to mess it up. And yet he's going to use them and he strengthens them together in community. Verse 42 in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Which I love, though, that those spiritual things were their priority. They weren't concerned, what if we scare away somebody because we talk too much about our love for Christ? It was just, we're going we're to study the teachings of the apostles for us, the scriptures. We're going to break bread together. We're going to pray for each other that type of community you won't find anywhere else on the planet. If you've ever been in real, loving, God-centered Christian community, you won't find it anywhere else on the planet. And what happens next is this. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was so contagious they couldn't even help it. They're not even out preaching to thousands of people in their native languages without knowing it. They're actually just loving people well in their community. And people are like, I, people don't do that. I can't find that anywhere. In the early days of our outposts, we started five outposts before the first worship service. And in those days, we were connecting people strictly because of that. Because people would come and they would hang out for hours sometimes at those, uh, what we now call micro churches. And because there was such love and compassion and care for one another. I've seen some people here this morning that were in some of those early outposts and can confirm what I'm talking about. And so many of us have submitted our lives to Jesus, but we're leading such isolated lives. We miss out on the most beautiful parts of following Jesus. In the early church, they just had such love and compassion for one another. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. Two things I want to share with you. One, for those who are new to our church, the best way to find community initially at the start is uh, Rooted. Rooted is an 11-week initial discipleship experience where you're in a group together, doing a devotional together. It meets on Wednesday nights here at the building. If you can't do Wednesday nights, we will start at a different night of the week in a different place or even online, but you got to let us know now so we have time to prepare because it kicks off on September 7th. And so if you've never been through Rooted, it's the one thing we want everybody in our church to do. You can sign up today with the app right there, or you can just write Rooted at the top of your Connect card and turn it in at the Connect Center, and we'll get you registered. I think we're going to have a huge group. We just had a, probably one of the biggest first step classes we've ever had. So get ready. Uh, I hope you'll do that. But hundreds of you this morning have been through Rooted, and it stopped there. And I want to tell you, long-term, it's spiritual community that's going to keep you focused on the things that really matter, to help walk with you through your marriage and parenting questions, through your dating issues, to help walk with you through the struggles that you're going through in your life. And so for the first time ever, on September 11th, we're having the first underground tailgate. If you're like, we're going to be down in the sewers, what's going on? The, the underground tailgate, we're going to have a tailgate out in the parking lot, there's going to be stuff for the kids to do too. Uh, we might even have some snacks. But while we're out there, 
you're going to get to hear about all the different discipleship huddles and outposts, the underground aspect, the underground community of our church, where we're intentionally discipling people in huddles and sending them out on mission in outposts. And you could join one and be a part of it or start one. And we're going to have a whole bunch of them. Any outposts or huddle leaders, be ready. We need you that weekend, September 11th, out in the parking lot. There'll be more on that to come. But everyone needs community to be strengthened. The underground move of Jesus strengthened the community in Acts chapter three, finally number four. That it took, it was hard work for me to get this tea, by the way. That uh, the underground movement of Jesus treasures boldness, treasures boldness. If we're gonna live our best life today, it means that you're going to treasure living your faith out boldly. It's why our motto is to live boldly and love deeply. And that phrase, it came from Acts chapter four, the week before we were going to launch the church. I shared this vision of a million people coming to Christ. And I randomly said after preaching out of Acts four that we're going to have to live boldly and love deeply. And, And for some reason, that just stuck. We didn't plan that. We've just been saying it ever since. And it comes from this passage. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So what happens in chapters two, they're they're praying, they're worshiping, they're growing in number daily. They go out to preach some more and they actually get thrown into prison for it. Because of their bold faith, they're in prison. In Acts four, they get out of prison. And what do they do when they get out of prison? I don't know about you, but I would go, I've been saying this for 11 years, I would go, "Uh, the boldness kind of got me in trouble. Maybe I should stop the bold stuff. And instead, they come out And here's what happens. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. After being imprisoned for their boldness, they prayed for more boldness and the spirit of God came freshly on them, shook the place they were at and they spoke it even more boldly than they did before. But that boldness, by the way, we always talk about was not angry bullhorn boldness. It was loving, compassionate boldness to love people deeply. Like 1 Peter 4, 8 commands us, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That we're called to live boldly and love deeply in our spheres of influence with that type of life, living our best life possible, treasuring boldness in our life, you could actually see your neighbors come to know Jesus. And I'm telling you, I'm speaking to myself right now. You could actually see those in your sphere of influence have their lives forever change. And I want to tell you, we're seeing it happen right now in, in our state. We are. We're seeing people being awakened to it and changing and saying, I want more of that. Some of you in this room who have been struggling with addictive habits, I want to tell you there are people in here who are decades from their habits because God changed their lives. Don't give up fighting the good fight. He's going to be with you. His spirit is with you and empowered you. You can actually change. If you're struggling your marriage, you're ready to throw in the towel and you've got all the reasons to do it because they did this and they did that. I want to tell you the spirit of God enables and empowers us to change our marriages. If you've given up on your children or your grandchildren, children, pray harder because God's not done with them and he's not done with you. If you're fed up with school systems or problems in our community and the violence, don't throw in the towel and stick your head in the sand. Start praying harder and believing God can change things. It's going to take that type of bold faith to see God use us to change the course of human history in our lifetime. It's not a silly goal to reach a million people for Christ, but it's going to take submission that leads to action. 
We're going to have to stop staring up at the clouds, have a turning point, say, I don't care if I'm down five to two in a tie break. God's about to bring a comeback. He's going to use me in this community. I'll close with two things. One's this. If you've never seen this movie, it's been out for like 20 years now. It's called The End of the Spear. It's the story of five missionary uh, men from 1956 who were sent to the Wodani tribe who had never heard the gospel in Ecuador. And every single one of those men submitted to that community in love and compassion, trying to reach them. And when the Wodani tribe turned to violence, they didn't fight back and they had their lives taken from them. But because of their love and compassion and submission, that tribe, after that act, would actually surrender their lives to Jesus and have some supernatural things that the Holy Spirit did. And there's actually a a man in, in our church who was related to Jim Elliott, I believe, one of the five missionaries. This stuff really happens. And it's happening right now. We're about to launch a church up in Anderson, Indiana, and God is sending people from this church up there. One of them's Isaiah Cheatham. Isaiah, come up here. Some of them are clapping because they don't want you to leave, man. Isaiah, in the last couple of years, grew up here in the student ministry. I've shared this before, but like when Eric first started having you like lead worship, you were afraid to utter a word. Like you were so shy, dude. And now he's like jumping around and all this stuff. And like he's become one of the greatest worshipers I've ever met in my entire life. And... I'm excited to share. He's going to be accepting, I believe, the uh, full-time pastoral position to be the worship and media pastor up at the Anderson Church. And we're going to be sending him out here uh, this fall. We still get him for a couple more months, and he'll be back some. But I want to tell you, there are Isaiah Cheatham's all over this place, who God's awakening you to your unique spiritual gifts He's saying, don't sit in those chairs anymore. We made them too comfortable. I got the 21-inch chairs. Should have got the 18 and a half inch chairs. So you get out of them. And we're going to go out and live on mission and change our worlds for Christ. So we're going to close in prayer here together to live our best life. And we're going to invite the Spirit of God to anoint us for this season of ministry and over the next six weeks that we become the people he created us to be. Pray with me, God. First, I pray for those in the room who have never given their life over to you, Jesus. Right now may be their moment. If that's you in the room and you'd like to surrender and start taking action in your life to live for God rather than yourself, pray this with me. God, I repent of the sin in my life. I believe and receive your forgiveness and grace. On this day, August 7th, 2022, I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use me. Help me to become the person you created me to be. Help me to follow you in the act of baptism. And then, God, for the believers in the room, that pray this with me. God, anoint me with your Holy Spirit in this season to find Christian community, to live on mission, to not be afraid of what you want to do, but actually enter into the problems of this world and fight back spiritually. The, your underground movement is alive and well today. Use us, Jesus. Anoint us with the Spirit. Change us for eternity. We love you and pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. amen.